You're listening to Gender, A Wider Lens. I'm Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist in Ireland. And I'm Sasha Ayad, an adolescent therapist in the United States. Since 2016, my practice has been exclusively dedicated to gender-questioning teens and families impacted by gender dysphoria. I also work with gender-questioning teenagers, and I facilitated support meetings for families and individuals who've been impacted by gender issues. We're curious about the concept of gender and how it's unfolding in the wider culture. Join us as we look at gender through a wider lens. We're really looking forward to our second Wider Lands Renewal Retreat at the very end of October. Yes, it's going to be right here in my backyard in beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. It was a really special occasion and it really did seem to be truly transformative. And parents who attended last time were very keen to come together for another retreat. Yeah, and for those of you who didn't attend last time, this is a retreat for parents who are seeking a deeper understanding of themselves and of their gender-questioning child. And it's also for parents who need some time out for some self-reflection and who want to parent with more confidence. Yeah, so please join me, Stella, and our dear friend and colleague, Lisa Marciano, in Scottsdale, Arizona this fall. The Eventbrite link will be in the show notes, and you can also Google Wider Lens Renewal Retreat Arizona. We hope to see you there. Shannon Thrace is a writer, IT professional, and devotee of farm-to-table restaurants, summer festivals, and lifelong learning. She's passionate about unplugging, getting outside, and traveling the world. And Shannon is also a trans widow who has written a memoir about this experience, which is soon to be published. Today, Shannon tells us about first meeting her husband, Jamie. She fell in love with and married a man who was creative and artistic. He had an eclectic but grungy style. She says he was down for anything, fun to be around, and really spontaneous. They got married. They moved from the city to the country, and this was a young, open-minded couple that really enjoyed a playfulness in their relationship. So 13 years into the marriage, when Jamie stumbled across trans porn and developed an interest in cross-dressing, Shannon was more curious than distressed. But then things took a weird turn. As Jamie started to spend more and more time in online spaces, and less and less time in the real world, his interest in cross-dressing changed from a fun activity to a real struggle with gender dysphoria. He spiraled into worsening mental health and their marriage took a dive. Shannon tells the story of how this loving marriage just couldn't withstand the pressure of Jamie's obsessions, ideologies, and online activism. We also touch on the role the affirmative therapists played at this time, the loss of her friends, and Shannon's utter isolation with this very complicated situation. Ultimately, a solo camping trip helped her to ground herself, and Shannon made the decision to end the marriage. She also talks in this interview about how she'd advise other women who might be going through a similar situation. This was an incredible conversation, so we really hope you enjoy this interview with Shannon Thrace. Well, hello, Sasha. Hi, Stella. We have uh, a very interesting uh, guest today. Um, I, I've, I've followed the kind of the issue of trans widows for a long time. Do you mind me calling you a trans widow, Shannon, or is, is that where you're at or does another word suit it? I don't mind that at all. I think that's a good word. So would you like to tell us the story from the beginning and um, we can ask questions as and when? Sure. So uh, Jamie and I, got together in our early 30s. I thought he was very cute. He was a musician. Um, he kind of reminded me of Kurt Cobain in the way that he dressed and he had a two-week beard and that's actually the facial hair that he wore most of our time together. He was uh, he had kind of a gritty persona. He was masculine. He liked backpacking and outdoorsy things. And at the time Jamie was he. He went by he. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I should say that I, I do like to, I do use masculine pronouns for Jamie now. At the time when we were married, when he requested feminine pronouns, I did use them. But I came to feel very dishonest about that. And that's something I can touch on later. Sure. But okay. I, uh, as of our divorce, I have stopped using feminine pronouns for Jamie. Okay. Because if I'm right, don't let me put words in your mouth, but you're, you're using the pronouns that suit your psyche. 
That's right. That's right. I, I, I was married to a man, you know, I was with a man for 15 years. This, uh, change in his personality was very late in our relationship. And it's, it, it didn't change my perception of things, even though it was something he felt. Yeah. Okay. So thanks for clarifying. So, so you were saying you met this guy, he's this artistic kind of grungy, creative person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to pick it up from there? Sure. Yeah. So, so he was a musician. He did blues music. He kind of idolized um, Bob Dylan and Tom Waits and Hunter S. Thompson. And, and that was kind of his persona. And he was very, I think one of the things I really liked about him early on is that he was very game for anything. He had a sense of adventure. He was fun. If somebody said, Hey, let's pack a bag and go to St. Louis right now. He'd say, yeah, let's do, you know, so, uh, and, and at the time that was very important to me. I mean, it still is. Um, I don't have kids and I've always kind of enjoyed that spontaneity and that sort of personality. So, uh, and then of course, Jamie and I got married eventually. Um, and we lived for 13 and a half to 14 years, a very simple life, a very enjoyable life. We lived in the city, so uh, when we met, and and so we had a very sort of hipster, urbane kind of social network and and style of doing things. We went out to cool restaurants, you know, we went to clubs, we went dancing, Um, and then for a while, we also homesteaded in the country. So, um, and when we did that, we lived a very quiet life. We, We were actually kind of far away from our friends and you know we cooked a lot we gardened a lot we had a goal to sort of go off the grid and completely live with homesteading alone that didn't work out but we did uh cook a lot drink a lot of homemade lemonade snap beans on the porch you know it was, it was a very fun time and it was while we were living there that Jamie began to cross dress so so prior to that beginning of cross-dressing, was there any indication? I mean, obviously, you're, you're intimate together. 13 years is a really long time. It's not like, oh, we were together a year and then I discovered this thing. 13 years is over a decade. W- yes. Were there any <laughs> indicators prior that there was anything slightly, let's say, different or feminine about his sexuality or behavior in, in that sense? I think very little, if any. Um, Like I said, Jamie had a pretty masculine persona. I mean, he was sensitive, you know, he was uh, kind. And uh, I think once in a while, he would kind of joke around that he had a feminine side uh, and things like that. But we had uh, a really great sex life. So he certainly wasn't gay. Uh, You know, he certainly wasn't feminine in a way that, that really stood out. By mm-hmm. any means. Mm-hmm. Could I ask a little question that actually hasn't got anything to do with it, but I can't resist? You tried to go off the grid and it didn't work out. Was Right. Well, uh, yeah, I think that it's hard to do. Um, and I, one of the things that happened was we, it was our intention that I would work and that he would sort of um, be a housewife, which we <laughs> said jokingly, uh, and that he would take care of things at home. I think that he did not like housework as much as he thought he did. Um, And there were projects that never seemed to get off the ground. And I could, you know, I think a lot of that was uh, that he was intimidated, but certainly I I was working and it was difficult for me to participate too. So there were things like we were going to get goats that turned out to be kind of expensive, kind of difficult. We weren't sure how to do it. I didn't feel like he was, making it happen. And I was working. So yeah, things like that. It it was just a difficult project. We did do a lot of gardening though. So we did eat a lot of vegetables. We just didn't get much beyond that. (laughs) Kind of, it's kind of, kind of very cute. It's like a movie nearly. It is. It's a hipster thing to do. Yeah. It's totally a, a modern hipster thing to do, to be like, yeah, we're city people. Let's go to the country and you know, live uh, off the land. Yeah. Chickens and, yeah. I get it. I totally <laughs> yeah. get that desire. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
And and then he you said he started cross dressing. So this is thirteen years in. You you you've, you've right. gone back to the city at this stage, or what had happened? No, we were still in the country actually. Um, and what happened was actually it it began with pornography. So, and I, I will say that Jamie didn't look at a lot of pornography. I'm not one of those women who has a story that you know their husband always had his uh, face in the computer looking at porn. This was not the case with Jamie. And in fact, he was a little shy about it, a little uninterested in it. There were times even when I would suggest it and he would say, oh, you know, I don't know. That's, you know, I I feel funny about it, things like that. So, but he did look at it occasionally, as did I. And on a particular evening, he said, I've got this idea. Why don't you find some porn you think I would like and I will find some porn that I think you would like. And that's, that's what we did. And when I, when we explored that together, I found that Jamie really wasn't interested in what I had found. He had an agenda (laughs) and that agenda was to look at quote unquote tranny porn. And so that's what happened that evening. I, I think that maybe he was just trying to lead us in that direction. And that's the way he chose to do it. Did you do you now it's some years later do you have an hypothesis like that perhaps he had stumbled across this porn and decided to bring it into the relationship or is that jumping too fast I think that he had looked at it before I I still don't think that he was a um a, a pornography user frequently Mhm okay So he was kind of testing the waters it seems like he wanted to so. see what you would say Right Mhm Okay, so what happened? So we we looked at the the porn, um, and then I made a little joke. I said, I could give you a makeover, and he wanted that, so I gave him a makeover. That led to sex. Um, I I put some, some of my clothes on him. He slept in the blouse that night, so I kind of knew that, you know, that that had gone well for him that he was interested in it um and i uh i knew that that was on his mind a few days later when he sort of announced to me that he would like to cross dress more regularly were you surprised um i i don't even think that it was enough of an issue for me to warrant surprise or not surprise i was kind of like okay like i i knew that he had slept in the blouse so i was like yeah, I know. <laughs> like my response was kind of like, I know. Um, and so I wasn't, I don't think I was surprised and I don't think that it was worrisome enough for me to, to be surprised by. I, I'll say this too. Jamie had gone through a lot of fashion phases. So he had worn like hipster clothing for a while, like a big lumberjack beard and a flannel shirt and, you know, that sort of thing. And then he had gone through another phase where he dressed like Hunter S. Thompson. And he had gone through another phase where he wore really skinny pants and really long t-shirts and um, high top sneakers. Was he flamboyant? I guess he was flamboyant, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't even, I don't think I would use that word before that moment, but he was sort of curating a look each time. So, so he would kind of, and yeah, I think that he would sometimes wear things that were just a little beyond what your average man would wear, but they really weren't, they weren't flamboyant at all. I, I know that because there were plenty of times when I introduced him to new people like coworkers and things like that. And it, they didn't even notice. So it wasn't unusual. It was just um, a little, a little curated and a little different. He also got both of his ears pierced um, a little bit earlier than when that kind of came in style for men. There are a couple things coming to mind for me. Like in hindsight, of course, we can pick through Jamie's story and be like, well, there were the earrings and there were the clothes. and the... But, right. you know, in reality, there are so many people who experiment with style and clothing and aesthetic and like, oh, I was looking through a magazine and this vest is cool. I'm going to wear a vest now. I mean, it's not a big deal. Right, right. And I'm also just thinking about this is a bit unrelated, but I promise I'll tie it together. I'm thinking about like 
the the kind of stories we heard from the pioneers when we were interviewing like the early psychologists who did a lot of work around gender identity like there was a certain type of parent who like if their child was gender non-conforming would really worry about it and take them to a doctor and then we we would always hypothesize there are probably other people who their kid might be experimenting with you know, maybe clothing or styles that are a bit outside of the gender norms, but they're not going to blink about it. And like, of course, this is a marriage, so this is different. But you fall into that second camp. Like, I'm an open-minded person. I'm totally down with my husband experimenting with like his style and curating a look and like playing around with different aesthetic. So I just want to point out that like there might be certain types of women who maybe are very conservative or like have a very rigid perspective of like what a man is allowed to be who would have been upset about like him wanting to stay home and like take care of the house stuff or putting earrings in his ears or whatever like I'm not but I know there are some type of women like if a man behaves in any way outside of the quote norm it's like a big weird thing to them and you're like no I'm just I'm really open yeah, that's that's definitely right. And I think this might be a good time to say that <laughs> before I met Jamie, I identified as a lesbian. So I had dated women, a lot of women for, for a very long time. And I also had been attracted to very few men. And the men that I had been attracted to were actually not alpha males. So, you know, Jamie had long hair. I mean, I, I do think that he was masculine looking when I met him, but not... Um, you know, not in an alpha male sort of way. He he was more of a rock star kind of guy, you know. Um, so those were the kinds of guys that I was attracted to in those rare moments when I was. So so yeah, when he decided to cross dress, you know, I thought, well, yeah, that's kind of fun. That's kind of edgy. That's cute. You know, that's kind of punk rock. I was really totally cool with it. And again, you know, I don't have kids and things like that. And I've never been a person who sort of worries enough about my job, you know, that or something like that, that I, um, that I'll change my life for it. I, I like to live authentically and I feel like I can integrate something like that into my life without any trouble. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay. So, so he's cross-dressing and experimenting and you're like, yeah, I know you slept in my blouse. No big deal. Right. <laughs> then, right. then what? So what happened next? Um, and for a while, Jamie actually kept a blog as well and he defended cross-dressing and I guess he was going online and he was reading about cross-dressing. He was reading about trans women and transgender identity and, he was actually keeping a blog where he was sort of defending cross-dressing and saying that he was not transgender and that he wasn't sure that that was a good way to live, that people should accept who they are, um, that he was maybe a feminine man and that was okay. It didn't change your sex. It didn't change the fact that he had male privilege. He actually said that in a post. And so he was, he was very, he was starting to be very open about cross-dressing and he was starting to be very opinionated about it. And he was reading all these things. And so what happened next really did surprise me. And that is that we were sitting in a restaurant and a, a person walked by an older man and he said, Hey, I've been uh, trying to figure out who you look like. He said this to Jamie. He said, I just figured it out. You look like Brad Pitt. And and then he kind of chuckled and he went on his way. And then Jamie got really upset and he got really sad and he looked like he was going to cry. And when I said, hey, what's going on? He sort of thought I should already know. And, and he was, you know, kind of like, well, that man insulted me. And I was like, what? Brad Pitt's you hot. Know? What are you talking about? Brad Pitt is like... <laughs> A well-known, yeah, good-looking man. So this is not <laughs> <laughs> this is not what he did. Um, and can I ask, did yeah. you have a feeling that about what he was going to say, or were you literally thinking, "What's wrong with him here"? I was very confused, and I guess it's hard for me to say now um, if it crossed my mind 
that he was hoping he looked more feminine because obviously he was experimenting with that. But at the same time, he was keeping this blog where he was saying, I'm a man. I know I'm a man. He he also said in this blog, most people who try to pass don't pass. I know that I don't pass. I'm not trying to pass mm-hmm. as a woman mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So when this happened, I I was very confused. And then, you know, of course, we talked about it. And he said, well, I'm presenting as a as a woman and I, you know, I must not look enough like a woman. And, and I was, I was kind of like, when did this become a thing? <laughs> and so, yeah. Oh, can you just remind us about what year was this? Cause I think the online spaces changed so fast that it helps to right. contextualize the online blogs and stuff like that. What year was yeah. that? So this was 2014. Oh, okay. and can I ask about timing as well? It was imagine it's twenty okay, it is twenty fourteen. How how long had he been cross dressing if you haven't already mentioned that? Like what is the time period from that first blouse to right. to this incident in the restaurant? It was eight months and I, I'm trying to think yeah. if I'm telling you uh That's the truth fast. about twenty fourteen. It was twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen, but I think that it was it was twenty fourteen. Um he started cross-dressing then he cross-dressed for about eight months. And then it was in 2015 when he started to identify as transgender. And so the, the conversation in the restaurant was the first time that you became aware that he was literally conceptualizing himself as someone presenting as a woman, quote unquote. Yes. That was very much my very first inkling of that. I did it feel like the world was kind of tipping on its axis because he had said I know, you know, I don't pass. He had said all things that like were making sense to you as such. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, um, a little bit. I think it tipped more later. I think at that moment um, we talked about it. I came to understand that he was experiencing gender dysphoria. But for a while after that, even maybe for a month or so, he still said, well, obviously, I'm not literally a woman. I'm just uh identifying as one or choosing to live as one so at that moment i still didn't really feel like my world had been rocked it was just a bit of a surprise but then a month or two after that he began to say that he was a woman and he began to identify as transgender or as a woman and to take on some really unusual beliefs that I think are uh, more in line with what we hear today from transgender activists. And do you remember how that, like from the incident in the restaurant where you thought, oh, he's, he's going with this in a slightly different direction mm-hmm. to you realizing, okay, it, this is different. Did he say, I, I, I'm now a woman or what, was there an event or was the restaurant the sum of the events? If you felt? I think the, the event at the restaurant was that I learned that he had gender dysphoria. And I also don't think he knew that about himself. Because when I said, hey, you know, you've been blogging, you've been saying these things, he said, yeah, you're right. I don't know. I guess I've, I guess I've changed my mind. And, and he said, you know, I said, I, you didn't care about passing. He said, I guess I care about that now. So he was realizing at the same time I was, that he was changing his mind. And, and I think that it's because he thought that he passed and was a little surprised that this man compared him to Brad Pitt. Was he wearing dresses? Like how? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. And that's really, I hate to ask, but no, I... that's another reason why it's really, really odd is that when this occurred in the restaurant, he was wearing like skinny jeans and like maybe just a, you know, a barely feminine blouse or something like that. And if I'm not mistaken, high tops. So he really didn't look, feminine and he had long hair but he'd had long hair before so i think he had started to shave um his face and and so that was different but i i was kind of like you know this is mm-hmm. not that different from the way you've looked for the past 14 years you know why would someone mistake you for a woman now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah i was very surprised by that and, and i i'll say this too um to answer your question. He was wearing a skirt occasionally and things like that, but it was very occasional and more of a, um, more integrated into something a man would do. So like maybe he would 
continue to have a beard and he would wear like a denim mini skirt and then maybe some like, you know, punk rock clothes around that so that he just looked a little edgy, but not like a woman or not like someone who was trying to look like a woman. So it, it isn't that there was never a skirt before that moment, but there was much more of an androgynous look mm-hmm. up until that point. So then a couple months after the restaurant, he starts saying he is a woman. And you said he adopted some unusual beliefs. Can you say more about those beliefs? Yeah. So a few months later, you know, he began to say that he was literally a woman and not just someone who identifies as one. He said at one point that he had gender dysphoria because he was trans Whereas I think most people think of that as the other way around. You're mm. trans because you have gender dysphoria. Trans being the actions that you take in response to having gender dysphoria. But he believed that something was different in his brain or body that was making him transgender and that the gender dysphoria was a result of that. Yeah, I, I would agree with you that that's a contemporary perspective. Like, I think... And interestingly, when we look at timelines here, it's around 2014 and 15 that these ideas really started to pop up online. So it it kind of tracks with Jamie's story. So sorry, keep going. I've lost my (laughs) train of thought. Uh, What were we talking about? Well, you know, you talked about how it's changing at this stage. And I'd say you were slightly getting a feeling, I don't know, but. Uh, a feeling that like oh a, a, a train has taken off or something something is different now in our marriage I would right. imagine but I might be wrong no that's that's for sure yeah so yeah one thing that I didn't say is that basically the day after the Brad Pitt incident he began to cry every night and and I mean every night um he began to have meltdowns he began to just become miserable and depressed. And what was he crying about every night? He was crying about all kinds of things, uh, whether he looked right in a dress or not, whether he was getting looked at funny in a restaurant, whether somebody thought of him as a woman or was faking it, um, things of that nature. He was just very triggered by all sorts of things. And how were you responding to that? I think I was, you know, I was kind of like, well, you're depressed. You know, you need to get some help. I I, I don't think I was yet fully aware of how much a rabbit hole he was going down with the misery. (laughs) Like he was really, really becoming miserable. And this is one of the reasons why I want to tell my story is because the, um, the narrative that I hear everywhere is that transgender people are miserable their whole lives and then they come out and then they get happy and maybe they get happy because they get social acceptance or because they get to take steps toward transition or because they've just come out. But this is the opposite of what I experienced. So Jamie was actually happy and cool and fun and relaxed even through the cross-dressing until this Brad Pitt moment. And then he became miserable and it was a remarkable change and it was abrupt. And he went to a, a very bad place, a very dark place. We hope you're enjoying this episode of our podcast. We work very hard to maintain high quality content for this show. And we're grateful to Rhyme and Genspect for supporting us. Rhyme, or Rethink Identity Medicine Ethics, is a non-profit organization dedicated to improving long-term care for gender-variant individuals. Visit rethinkime.org to learn more. And Genspect is an international alliance of parents and professional groups whose aim is to advocate for parents of gender-questioning children and young people. If you'd like to become a patron, you'll have access to weekly transcripts and special Q&As, and you can join our listener community. Now back to the show. This this also really tracks with my experience working with young people who, like you said, end up going down a rabbit hole of misery. And it's a bit different depending on what developmental stage of your life you're at, but I see that 
a lot of young people will abandon all of their previous hobbies, like all the things that made them vibrant and yes. happy and engaged and like interested in the world. And it sounds like Jamie also went from being like somebody who was interested in a lot of different things and music and all this stuff. It did. Did he stop playing music? Did he just become hyper-focused yes. on gender? Yes, he did. He did. I'm glad you brought that up. He, he dropped out of every area of life, basically. So he stopped working, which he was working as a teacher. So there was a point in which we were talking about moving back to the city and he would have had to renew a contract or not. And he chose not to renew it. So that made sense to me at the time, but it did result in him never going back to work. And then he also just stopped doing things around the house, you know, picking up dishes, whatever. He also stopped doing all of his hobbies. He didn't want to sing because he has a gravelly voice. So he lost interest in being a musician. And that was a huge part of him before that. He was into backpacking and camping, but he didn't want to do that because he couldn't dress feminine while doing that, or he was afraid he wouldn't look feminine enough. Um, so yeah, he, he stopped doing everything he was interested in. And there was a very big difference in his personality. And there was a very big difference in our ability to communicate because as he took on these sort of strange views, you know, I tried to stay grounded and to have conversations with him. And I found that he was no longer willing to let his guard down and be honest. And he was starting to sort of parrot things that he had read online and he just wasn't communicating and then the other thing that really suffered was our sex life. And that actually happened probably just a little before, during the cross-dressing phase, before the Brad Pitt incident, where he kind of seemed to want to look feminine and feel feminine and, and be treated like a woman in bed. I'm using scare mm -hmm. quotes for mm -hmm. that. Um, and things of that nature. And, and that had both sort of become a preoccupation that interfered with normal sex and spontaneous and happy and loving sex. Um, and it also became sort of a chore that I began to dread and that wasn't working for me. And did you get the sense that there was an online life kind of um, impacting this? Or were you just thinking, this is, this is Jamie taking a, a swerve here? Yeah, I think I knew that, that, he had a lot of online friends uh, and was participating in online discussions and activism and things like that. But I didn't really fully realize how much of an impact that was having on his views. It really took me a long time to realize that because looking back, um, I remember times when he said a phrase that I had just never heard before or even he tried to pin views on me in some odd phrasing that I had never heard before. And in retrospect, I realized that he was reading various ideologies and views for and against trans people and was sort of mapping them onto our conversations. And I wasn't even aware of this. So he was like blaming me for having views that I hadn't even heard of. And, and things like that. So it took me a while, I think, to realize how much he was getting his views from the internet. Were you confiding in friends or going online yourself to see other people's kind of experiences around this? For the longest time, I didn't. I, I didn't really have a lot of real life friends. When, when we moved to the country, we were a bit isolated. And even before that, a lot of our friends were his friends first. So I didn't really feel comfortable confiding in them. I did have a few people in my life that were long distance that I had maybe started to say, you know, things are getting weird at home or whatever. Um, I did also get a therapist at some point. But I didn't really have a lot of people to talk to, and I didn't realize how much the online world was influencing him. 
It sounds like a lonely and confusing place for you. I mean, I, I can't imagine how upside down this all felt. Especially, I mean, I, I know that your story continues to kind of unravel at that point. Yeah, it was definitely a lonely place. And I think as we neared the end, it was definitely very difficult for me to process what was happening to get any kind of help, to get any kind of support, to have conversations with Jamie about it. It it really did begin to fall apart soon after that. How can you say more about that? Yeah, I think that um, the main thing was really just the, the misery. So Jamie was so depressed and so not himself and had dropped out of all of his hobbies and all of our mutual interests. And so there was very little for us to build on sort of to combat the misery. So at one point I went camping by myself because I just really needed to think. And I sort of was trying to figure out, okay, I just need a break from this, from this, chaos really there was just a lot of crying a lot of anger a lot of chaos a lot of dishonesty really and another thing he had started doing was going online and sort of getting angry at activists and lesbians and drag queens and all sorts of people that I didn't think you know he would be angry with um and so there was just this sort of constant turmoil and and in a lot of ways he was inviting it you know and I I think at one point I said you know can you take a break from social media can you take a break from activism and he didn't really want to do that um and so I I went camping by myself to to think things these things through and I thought you know what we really need to do to combat this this daily misery is to do enjoyable things together. And I need to remember what I like about him and what I love about him. And I need to, you know, rekindle those things and spend time with him doing those things. But what I realized was, and I was sort of doing some exercises in a notebook, I was writing out the things I liked about him and the things we used to do together. And I realized that he wouldn't do any of these things anymore. So um, I couldn't, there was no antidote mm-hmm. to the misery. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no way to to pull ourselves out of it. And so between the misery, the diminished sex life, which I had tried and tried to talk to him about with no success, and the communication and the dishonesty, between those three things, it seemed like those were like the pillars of our relationship and that there wasn't you know, if if one of those things was happening, then maybe I could work on it. But with all of those things, there was just no place to start. And it looked very hopeless to me. It feels like a story of radicalization and the person, the loved one who's still like at the shore and this person is being radicalized, like drifting off to sea. And you're like, hey, like, right. I'm still here, but you're gone. Right. Yeah, for sure. And you said, you know, the diminished sex life. Was he not? If you if you find this prying, stop. Don't don't answer it. But like, was he losing interest, or was it that trans had kind of entered the bedroom, or what way did it go? Yeah, it, it was all of those things. I mean, it, it started with, I think, his interest like you said, trans entering the bedroom, his interest in being dominated and sort of treated in a certain way that was role-playing, which I'm fine with, but had begun to sort of take over all other possible activities. So that was a turnoff to me after a while. You know, it was kind of fun as an occasional thing, but as a way of life, it wasn't my thing. Because it interrupts spontaneity, which you said, like there's an animalistic, natural, allowing yourself to be carried away. But if you are so focused on our interaction has to make me feel, quote, feminine, then all that spontaneity is gone. And not only that, arguably role playing is is 
might be fun to do sexually, but it's it's not um, as intimate, perhaps right. as just straight, you know, making love with somebody in in your body. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. And I'm glad you said in your body because that was another piece of it was that as it progressed, you know, Jamie was dysphoric about his body. And so it's very hard to have sex with someone and to be in the moment and to touch them the way you're inclined to or to say things you're inclined to say, knowing that everything you might do or say will remind them that they're male and that that's an issue. And so there's just this self-censorship that enters in and becomes very distracting. And then I was also, um, at some point, uh, Jamie got laser surgery to remove his beard. I was turned off by that um, just because Jamie had had a beard the entire time we'd been together. It was very flattering on him. He he was, looked a little jowly without it. He actually looked more masculine without it than with the beard. Um, and it was difficult for me to to work with. And then, you know, adding in his demands and then... I would say we both lost interest in sex a little, but we both also just had too much to to work around. Yeah. Really. Yeah. It just became <laughs> so hard work. <laughs> it became work, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what happened then? So you're kind of deep in the in the weeds now of 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 Jamie's trans identity. Yeah, and you realized there was nothing really to build off of when you kind of journaled and you looked at the list of things you loved about Jamie. Like, so, so what happened? I guess when you went camping, you did this self-reflection. You must have come out of that with some sort of resolution. Yeah, so that's what I was hoping to do. Um, But, but the the takeaway for me was that there probably wasn't a resolution. So I had done several exercises. I had done this exercise about what do I like about Jamie and how do we rekindle that? I had also written a letter on the advice of my therapist saying goodbye to my male partner, not my partner altogether, but the male version of him. So I did that. I also had done sort of a a flow chart or a (laughs) sort of a Sort of a um, a brainstorm on what are all the ways that this could go. You know, um, we stay together, we break up, we open our marriage because that was something that was recommended by the support group that uh, the online support group that I found. Um, you know, and then what happens there? You know, we, um, you know, Jamie gets treatments in our sex life goes away or you know what are all these branches that this could take and when I thought through those I didn't like any of them I I didn't like any of them except the one where he made some compromises and he wasn't willing to make any compromises and he was increasingly um, back to parroting things he heard online he was increasingly sort of making final statements and ultimatums about how, you know, he couldn't compromise and things weren't going to change. And this was a given that I was going to have to live with and, and things like that. So I came away from that camping trip thinking that there wasn't an answer. And what I did next was I had a conversation with Jamie in which I said, you know, I don't feel like I'm a participant in my own life anymore and I need to be, I need to be a participant in my own life. And I I don't think this is going to work unless we can make some compromises. And he uh, wasn't willing to make compromises. And so that turned into a divorce talk. Um, before before that, could I just ask the therapist who said you you should write a letter to say goodbye to your to your male partner? Was that a therapist? You, you know, did you go together? Did was that a source of support? Yeah, my therapist was actually a source of support. She, um, I had found her after trying Jamie's therapist. So, so we did at first 
get therapy together. We went both for marriage counseling, but also for her, um, her advice was that we work on ourselves as well. And that she would also be there for Jamie's transition if that were to occur. But she was clearly very interested in transitioning Jamie. I'll say that right out of the gate. She literally said she thought it would be fun. So (laughs) I I just have to, I I have to pause you because that, that is so, that's so selfish of the therapist to say it would be fun. That's entertaining to her. Meanwhile, both Jamie is miserable and your life is falling apart. I I just want to point out that's so troubling to me. That is troubling. I agree. I I think it's troubling um, for the reasons you say and because, yeah, it means she had a um, agenda out of the gate, you know, without even learning more. So when I realized that she was kind of siding with Jamie, which really didn't take very long. I got my own therapist and she's the one who told me to write the letter. She's actually very supportive. She did a really good job, I think, saying, look, if you're going to, if you're going to stay, you should use the feminine pronouns, which I was doing. Um, You know, here are the ways that you can make that work. But if you don't want to do those things or you don't want to stay I'm here to support you through that too I, I want to I guess spend a moment talking about the therapy because of course that's the the bread and butter meat and potatoes whatever mm. food analogy I could think of I must be hungry um, <laughs> what were these two experiences like because I don't know. I mean, I guess coming from where we're coming from, I imagine I would have a different response as a therapist. But then again, I I just want to know, what was your experience like, Shannon, of of being in these two different types of therapeutic relationships? Yeah, so our first therapist, I call her Dr. Doris. Um, As I said, she clearly had an agenda coming out of the gate. I also just didn't think... She was very smart. I didn't think she listened very well. And I went to maybe only one or two sessions with her because she definitely seemed to be interested in Jamie. She seemed to be interested in transition. She at one point told me that talking to me was a conflict of interest, which was a very clear signal that she was on Jamie's side, even though we had gone to her for the first time together. As a marriage counselor, as a marriage therapist. Yeah. That's yeah. so, that's what, so Was she like at a gender clinic? Was she like gender affirmative <laughs> no. therapist? Uh, yeah, I guess she was a gender affirmative therapist. I can only assume that because she definitely affirmed Jamie as soon as I uh, went out the door and stopped seeing her. Um, so yeah, in fact, Jamie, you know, one of the conversations we had when things were really starting to fall apart was that Jamie said that he never wanted to be a woman, that he fought it kicking and screaming, but that it came out in therapy and it was so true that it couldn't be denied. And so of course, you know, my thought is, this is certainly something that you can choose. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, And so whose idea is this? Like, and I don't want to say that it was the therapist's idea because I'm sure they influenced each other or, you know, whatever happened there happened. I wasn't there, but to hear Jamie say, to go, to go from saying, you know, back in the cross-dressing days on the blog, I'm just a man expressing my feminine side you know, to saying that he's so literally and thoroughly a woman that he doesn't even have a choice in the matter is definitely a really strange progression. And, you know, and to hear him say that he he didn't want it and he thought it was awful and it was it was troubling for his future. So it's kind of like, wow, this isn't even 
making you happy, yeah. which would be the bare minimum of what we want this to do. <laughs> In terms of timeline, did he start seeing the therapist around the time when the restaurant thing happened? Or like, at what point in the picture did this particular therapist come in? It was after the restaurant incident because his spiral into depression after the restaurant incident is what uh, caused me to recommend it to him that, Hey, I think you need to get some therapy. And did the therapy make him more stable or help him reengage in life or make him happier? Or did he pick his hobbies back up, get back to work? No, <laughs> no, no, he didn't. He didn't pick his hobbies back up or become reengaged in life throughout our entire time together up until we divorced. So that never, that never came back. So it, it kind of disintegrated really, almost really from the Brad Pitt incident. It just it it's it just went in ever decreasing circles by the sounds of it. That's right. Yeah. And and another thing that happened was shortly after we decided to get a divorce and he moved out and we signed divorce papers, we emailed each other and we talked and we were both sad that it was ending and we kind of wanted to get back together and we tried to talk things out. So we, we split amicably really. And we were even getting along for maybe three or four months after we split. And then Jamie stopped speaking to me rather abruptly and used the words, I'm moving on, which was fine. Um, because I was kind of getting the sense that our little attempt to reconcile wasn't working. You know, it was kind of wishful thinking on both of our parts. But then maybe a month or two after that, he unfriended me on Facebook and blocked me and wrote a several paragraph tirade saying that I had abused him and that I was a bigot and just dragging my name through the mud and specifically he talked to various mutual friends of ours, gave them ultimatums, told them they couldn't be friends with me. So he sabotaged me several months after we had already amicably split. Did you get any indication that he was going to do this? Did anything? No. Start? No. Wow. no. So it was another big turn, a big surprise. And have you any analysis, post-match analysis of why he did that? What what prompted him? Yeah, you you know, I think that, and and I've I've written a memoir about this, and I'm um, working on getting that published. And so, a any publishers who who want to catch up on this, yeah, it's, it's an incredible story. Yeah, right. it's a brilliant story. It'd be a really good book. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just I just watched a interview with. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert, and she said, when you write or, or do some cr big creative endeavor, you will come out of it a different person than when you went in. And that's so, so true. Because as I was writing that, I really honed in on my values and what went wrong with us. And I also, like you said, had some time to do some analysis on what I was looking at there and what happened. And in retrospect, I believe that Jamie was having delusions of persecution. And I believe that Jamie believed what he said, which is, which was interesting for me because it's almost harder, you know, like if Jamie was just a jerk, you know, <laughs> then I could say, yeah, you know, get that guy out of your life. What a asshole, you know? Um, and, and there's more closure with that. Right. But to sort of discover that he believes what he's saying. And, and I was putting together some clues from things he wrote in a later blog and things like that, that led me to this. And then I, in retrospect, I realized that he had heard people say things that he took as insults that weren't insults at all, apart from the Brad Pitt incident. Um, and that he had, you know, sort of projected feelings onto people. And, and I kind of thought at the time that he was being, that he was telling little white lies, that he was being dishonest for the purpose of activism, you know, that he was saying, oh, you know, us trans people have a really hard time. Oh, yeah. Look at these things that happened to me. But what I began to realize was that he believed them and that there were these little clues that he believed them and that he 
probably believed that I abused him. And I think that comes from sort of this immersion in this online world that says, you know, if someone triggers you, you know, (laughs) or, you know, if someone disagrees with you, they're undermining your right to exist and they're, you know, whatever. And so the fact that I had my own views, that's what, that's what translates as abuse to him. Yeah. And so what happened then? So at this stage, he'd, he'd done this tirade on Facebook. You had thought, oh my God, this, this is, this has really gone wrong now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing has happened since then. He has never spoken to me again since that moment. Um, I do know through the grapevine that he's had surgery. And so he's, he's really gone all the way with it. He's also um, involved in a lot of activism and lobbying. So he's rather famous in his world for, um, for that sort of thing. So yeah, um, there, there is no more story for Jamie and I beyond that point. What, what I'm thinking about is just that like behind every public facing kind of heroic story about like a trans person that comes out, you know, of course there, there are so many variations of how this process of coming out and transitioning looks, but it's like, there's so much behind the scenes that could be happening that people are not aware of. And this, this kind of glittery, glamorous facade that we slap onto things for, whether it's political purposes or kind of social justice purposes, really don't give us a full picture, right, of the the complicated stories behind each person. When and and Jamie's yeah. not here to tell Jamie's story, right? But of course, this is a real aspect of a marriage that dissolved. This is your story, right? Right. And I have talked to a lot of other trans widows. And yeah, it's not an uncommon story. And there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. And there's a lot of, like, for example, Jamie said he was happy during those times when he was melting down at home every night. Mm. So there's a lot of duplicity in these stories sometimes. It must have been such a shocking, shocking end to what was actually a very loving marriage for something like 13 and a half years. And then 18 months of, of distress. It was, it was. I mean, we were, we really got along like kind of famously, you know, we really, uh, we lived together well, we traveled together well, you know, we were, we hardly ever fought. We were very peaceful. We had a lot of really good times and this came really out of the blue for me and to see it just really go from so high to so dark in such a short period of time. It was very, very hard to process and hard to understand. Yeah. I've got I've got two questions, I suppose, that I, I would love to hear what you've got to say. One is, what is your analysis? You were there. I wasn't of what actually happened. You know what I mean? That what what came over him? What happened? And the other yeah. thing I was thinking was, have you any words to say to any women that are maybe in your position or, or, or anywhere along that arc? Yeah. So what happened? I mean, obviously, I can only guess. I can only report on what I saw. Um, I can't read Jamie's mind. But it seems to me like there was some combination of social media influence and social media addiction, which I think can be very unhealthy um, because sort of arguing online, I, I know just like from my own experience, I think we've all maybe done it before is you know, you sort of get engaged in an online conversation and, and let it kind of get to you and get out of control. And, and he was doing that on a regular basis. And so it seems like there was some views and ideologies that he was exposing himself to a lot that sort of, I I almost think that gender dysphoria can be acquired and maybe acquired by, means of this sort of 
ruminating. You know, I, I think about the fact that if I were, you know, if I were in a group where a bunch of women all said, you know, let's all talk about how much we hate our nose, you know, that that we would come out Completely. of it hating our nose. You Completely. know what I mean? Like we would come out of it wanting a nose job. And, and, and so like, it's not surprising to me, you know, if you're immersing yourself in these communities that are talking about passing and surgery and um, oppression and um, toxic you know, testosterone, all like yes, there are all, all these this, things. Yeah then, then it begins to, it begins to rub off on you, you know? So I think that was happening. Um, I I think that it was a sexual interest for Jamie. I have lots of evidence of that. You know, that's another myth that I hear is that this thing isn't sexual. Well, it certainly was for Jamie. It certainly is for some transgender people. And I think that, you know, sexual interests for men can get out of hand. I mean, there's a reason I think why fetishes and things are, are very male centric. Not that this is a fetish. I think it's more complicated than that, but I do think that men can be very confused and controlled by their sexuality and have trouble putting it into perspective. And then I think there were mental health issues, you know, like when I looked back, you know, I, I realized a moment where Jamie had had um, a really serious episode of denial when his mother died and it it was remarkable and unusual. And, you know, I kind of thought, okay, so Jamie has some difficulty processing unpleasant realities. And so I I think you add that in, you know, I think Jamie did feel feminine. I, I think that people are confused by gender these days. You know, there's a lot of, um, hyper, hyper femininity and hyper masculinity going on. And, you know, maybe if you, if you don't feel like you're a part of that, and I certainly don't feel like I'm a part of that. I I mean, that's one thing I tried to talk to Jamie about, you know, I actually went through a phase when I was younger of telling people I was a boy, not to the extent that you did Stella, <laughs> not with, uh, not with a lot of dysphoria like that, but as a joking way. And it was because I really, felt different. You know, I never wanted kids. I was a tomboy. Um, I was attracted to women at a very young age. Um, and I, you know, enjoyed a lot of male typical activities. And so I never, you know, I was kind of raised with the free to be you and me, you know, I was raised with that's okay. And, you know, some, some girls are, are like you, um, but nowadays it almost seems like there's no room for that. Yeah, so right. I don't know, you know, between all those factors. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot that you can kind of look to. And then what about advice to, to other women who may be going through something like this, or I guess anybody it doesn't have to be women, but if you have a partner or husband, wife, a loved one who might be transitioning in this way or going down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Well, if, you know, if you want to know advice for getting that to go well, I don't know because I, I didn't make that happen. Um, but one thing I would say is to a, to a woman who's going through this is that the sooner that you can not kid yourself, you know, and that you can be honest with yourself and face what you're going through and what you want out of life and what it would be like to be to, to live the life you want and to be the center of your life, the sooner you can come to that, the better, because, you know, I spent some time, it, it's not like I didn't know that about myself. I've always been a pretty strong woman, but I did spend some time, you know, obviously using Jamie's pronouns and trying to understand Jamie's sort of, you know, twisted language games and um, trying to, you know, get on a page with him enough that we could make it work. But I don't think that was productive, um, both because reality has a way of showing itself and because I'm not willing in the end to sacrifice myself to another person. And I, I think that, you know, there's really no way around just facing these things and coming to terms with them. 
that's the advice I would give a woman. And that may end your marriage, but it's still the advice I would give a woman. Um, because I think we women too often give ourselves up for our partners. Amazing. That, that's incredible advice, Shannon. We're so yeah. grateful to have had you on and to hear your story and share your experiences here. Well, I am very honored that you asked me to be on. I love your podcast and I, I love what you've done. Thank Thanks, you. Shannon. That was so interesting. So insightful. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Gender, A Wider Lens. This podcast is sponsored by Rhyme and Genspect, and listener support means a lot to us. The best way to help is to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Follow us on social media, and if you'd like to become a patron, you'll have access to weekly transcripts of the show, special Q&As, and you can join our listener community. Just go to our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash widerlenspod. Our discussions are for educational purposes only and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services.